Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Show. My name's Josh Ayler. Joined by Barton Simmons, Trey Scott, later by Connor Tapp. Happy Halloween, fellas, especially you, Trey. Happy Halloween. Uh, this time a year ago, we were all dressed up. That's right. We were. You, Did fought, we get you fought hard. You wanted to wear your Matthew McConaughey costume again. Uh, I'm sorry, folks, that we didn't let Trey. Hey, why especially Trey? Huh? Why especially Trey? Well, he was... He reminded me right before we went on today it was Halloween. Oh, okay. I just... I, last year's Halloween thing was fun. We've got a special sort of role play thing coming up later. I, I, I will always cherish our Halloween episode. Uh, we got a year older, kind of a year less. Yeah, we're much more mature. Yeah. Now. Yeah. We, do we do callers every anymore. once in a while. Right. Josh is up to his hoodie game. I always game. chaperone Halloween yeah. parties. Right. Uh, hit us with your questions and comments. As always, we'll read those throughout the show. I have a fan of the week. All right, let's go ahead and get started. And... Let's start with what happened in the Big 12. Oklahoma going down to K-State. And I believe my man Barton over here, did you call your shot on that one? Is this your Purdue moment this almost? my Purdue moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, two years in a row now. Called a top five team going down. Right. Uh, straight up. No, I, yeah. I, I expected OU was going to lose somewhere along the way. This seemed like a spot that made sense. On the road, in the morning against a team with a totally different style that they had seen throughout the rest of the season. Um, Kansas State maybe looked good. That was a good good win by them. And, and I, I think OU is still very much in it, though. So the big question is, did this knock the Big 12 out of the playoff? Look, Oklahoma, I, I think I got back from Texas OU and I was emotionally like, Oklahoma's really good. Defense is great. And then I started to kind of think about it. I was like, no, the defense got up for a Texas game. And Jalen Hurts had two red zone turnovers. And I sort of was like, okay, I think OU's going to get tripped up somewhere. And, yeah, it happened. So, uh, look, I was just kind of – that's just all to say. Maybe OU is not as good as we thought they were. And, and maybe it was easy to see coming. Baylor is now the Big 12's playoff – best playoff hope. Kind of. Are they? I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't think that I agree with that. I They're still, the only undefeated team. Here's the reality is and, – and Lincoln Riley said it. As soon as the loss happened, Lincoln Riley said – you guys are going to make a big deal out of this. You guys are going to say we're out of the playoffs. We've been here. We've done this. This is not foreign territory for us. We just got to handle our business and keep winning. And I really think if Oklahoma keeps on winning, if it wins out, wins a Big 12 championship, finishes 12-1, and then when you consider what's likely to happen elsewhere, mm-hmm. uh, I think they got a great shot. Now, that doesn't mean that this doesn't – create opportunity for others I think this creates a real opportunity for the SEC to get two sure I think the I currently and I thought this for a while but now I'm I'm emboldened by it I currently think the loser of Alabama LSU assuming the winner wins out Mm -hmm. and assuming it's a one score game late I think that loser gets in so I think those two would get in if if all goes according to plan otherwise especially if the loser is LSU of Alabama because they already have all those great other wins right uh, and then I also think, you know, this breathes new life into the Pac-12 mm-hmm. in a big way, particularly with Oregon's only loss being a neutral site. 
against Auburn, a team that's looked pretty good. Uh, I think the committee would be tempted to reward Oregon for scheduling that game and then running the table in the Pac-12. So, uh, and, and even, I think you can make a case that this opens up the door for the Big Ten to get two in. I think for that to happen, Penn State would have to beat Ohio State, not the other way around. Um, because if Penn State beats Ohio State, Ohio State's looks so good otherwise. How do you keep them out if that's their only loss? Uh, if Penn State loses, I'm not sure they've looked that good otherwise where they sort of have to be in. Or Minnesota runs the table, beat, beats Ohio State and Indianapolis and both get in too. If you had to choose, and I guess there's like people in the comments are asking, you were talking Pac-12, what about Utah? Like, is it, so in your, in your like playoff hierarchy rankings as, as far as who, this, who Oklahoma's lost benefits, like you go probably the SEC, and then you go Oregon, and then you go Utah. Like, it, I, it, it sounds like you would choose Oregon over Oklahoma right now. Is that correct? Uh, but I'm assuming yeah, yeah. you would I, pick uh, Oklahoma over Utah. I think Oregon has earned it in the sense that they don't have a head-scratching loss. And again, the Utah loss to USC – it's not a terrible loss, no, but road, I think if, you're, if your only trip-up is neutral site, borderline road game against Auburn, and that's the case with Oregon, then you deserve to be rewarded for that. If your trip-up is losing to a 6-6 six and six USC team, if your trip-up, in Oklahoma's case, losing as a 20-point favorite to a Kansas State team that probably ends up, I don't know, 8-4, and four, some decent team, 7-5 and five maybe, um, but... I think that you start to look at, you know, how bad were the losses? How much can we trust you? And I think that's why. And I think scheduling will be rewarded. I think what's interesting that few people are bringing up, in making the game 48-41, to Oklahoma's furious fourth-quarter rally, they avoided being totally eliminated, Absolutely. in my opinion. Because what, what's happened, guys, in the last two years when Ohio State's gotten blown out? They've totally been eliminated. Like, you lose on the road at Iowa – if Ohio State are on the road at Purdue, if that had been like a touchdown game, they might have still made it in one of those years. Oklahoma was down by almost 20 or at one point. So I don't know if it's fool's gold to say, yeah, they made a nice fourth quarter rally. And if you look at the score, 48-41, the game wasn't that close. But at least on the final ledger when they present their final resume to the committee in December, it wasn't a blowout. And not only that, but had they – I mean, look, this is all hypothetical. But had they recovered that onside kick, who has any doubt they would have went down and scored? Right. And, and maybe probably would have won that game. So – I agree wholeheartedly that I think that comeback uh, helps them avoid just being eliminated. You can't lose by 20-plus points mm -mm. and be a playoff team. I just don't think there's too many it, good too options. Too many precedents have been set. Yeah. Just a quick fact check on uh, Trey's statement about Baylor being the favorite. In terms of probability, 538 has Oklahoma 29% odds of making the playoff, Baylor at 15. Baked into that is probably the assumption that Oklahoma beats Baylor in their upcoming head-to-head, -head, but uh, yeah. Here's the issue with Oklahoma. I don't know if it's like an issue, but the Big 12, it's doing the whole cannibalization thing that we mm -hmm. thought it would do, but I'm not sure at the top it's as strong as we thought it would be, right? Like Iowa State's got some warts. Texas obviously has some warts. Even the Sooners themselves have some warts. So you can't look at Oklahoma's schedule and go, well, they beat Texas. Okay. Yeah, they, their best wins could be Baylor twice. And that's fine, but, like, if Oklahoma beats Baylor in Waco and then beats Baylor again in Dallas, that, like, by the time they beat them again in Dallas, Baylor would be, like, ranked 15th. Like, like there, there's not enough huge wins on this schedule. Right. 
No, I think I like the point in that the cannibalization element in the Big 12 is it's like a double whammy in the sense that one, it is I still think it's the toughest conference to go undefeated in because there's there are really 10 teams that can beat anyone else. And now that Kansas is decent. Absolutely. Uh, and, and second, secondarily, despite the fact that it's the toughest, te- toughest conference to, to, to survive undefeated, because they beat everyone else, there's a lot of records that don't look that great despite the team being pretty good. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that that's a great point that it's going to probably hurt Oklahoma in the long run. Like K-State could finish 7-5. Yeah. And like, that's, you know, a bad loss. We'll probably talk about this next week. Sure. But the LSU-Alabama game, I, I think I've heard that the line's, what, 7? And maybe if Tua does play, it could go up to 10. Let's pretend that's for just crazy. A, yeah, let's pretend for just a second that Alabama destroys LSU. What then? What were your 14? Like, this, oh, what Look, a, I've got a, Clemson, Ohio State, and the, whatever two SEC teams they want to send me. Oh, so you're saying even if even if there's a blowout, you're taking someone in the East or something? What? Like that seems like a little bit of a, a stretch. I, that's just – I would rather see a playoff with – look, if LSU gets blown out by Alabama, which I don't expect to happen, well, LSU beat Texas. LSU beat Florida. LSU beat Auburn. Well, that's enough for me, guys. Over- Is Texas really that big of a win anymore? I don't know, but look at the other resumes. You could say the same thing about Oklahoma's resume. Hey, they beat Texas. Is Texas that big of a win? You could say the thing about Oregon. Oregon lost to a team that LSU beat. Like, I-, I would take LSU's resume over any of those teams. I think the best shot for the SEC to get two teams in is Alabama narrowly wins. Because well, if Alabama loses, then you've got the point, well, Alabama sure as heck didn't play anybody in the non-conference schedule. Well, I still think that if Alabama narrowly loses, then you have the whole Tua was barely healthy, like flag she, you can yeah. throw I, I, and say, well, look, what would what would Alabama have done if Tua was was 100 percent? Uh, and so I I think that this, I mean, to to your point, Josh, if that thing is a blowout, Alabama LSU in mm-hmm. a couple weeks, and we shouldn't spend too much time on that because we got two weeks to build sure. up to it. But if that is a blowout, that is the thing that. I, I think recalibrates everything because then it changes the way we look at a lot of different teams. If it's close as we expect, then I think the SEC is in great shape to get two in. All right, so let's move on to my boy up at Ohio State that's just killing everybody, Chase Young. Can this guy be stopped? Is he in the Heisman conversation? Yeah, I'm going to toss to Connor because Connor, t- t- you know, covered this really well on the College Football Daily today. Uh, I just want to. I'm going to read Chase's stats: 15 and a half tackles for loss, 13 and a half sacks. He's on pace. Uh, Terrell Suggs had 24 at Arizona State in 02. Sacks weren't calculated or you know tracked by the NCAA until 2000. Uh, Connor, we're going to toss to you and you kind of get this thing going. Yeah, I mean, Chase Young's having a great season. He's an incredible player. I think we all understand and agree with that. But I mean, the unfortunate reality is that the Heisman electorate simply does not like to vote for defensive players. Uh, only one time has a player ever won the award, Charles Woodson, and even then he had to split time as a punt returner and wide receiver to kind of help him get over the hump. Um, and even in Dominican Sue, we think about as in 2009 having one of the best defensive seasons of all time, and he came in fourth. So it's just incredibly unlikely. And he, right now, even though he's starting to pop up in the Heisman odds, it's like a 3% implied probability. And, and then you throw into the fact that he's – the Heisman voting is regional, and he's going to be splitting votes with J.K. Dobbins and Justin Fields. It's just uh, as great as a season as he's having. It's just I, 
I don't think it's so. What happen. you're saying is he should go back and field punts. <laughs> no, I, I think that they, I think Ohio State is trying to win football games, but what they should do is line them up a tight end, get them some goal line touchdowns, like a variable. Just to yeah, yeah. Just just huh. for the for the gimmick of it, so that he's got that offensive threat and check mark, uh, and I think that might be enough to get some of these um, more what traditional voters. Now, hold on, though. Look, I I get what you're saying with the traditional thing, but you are also just in in this newly sort of analytics and numbers and, you know, value. A quarterback's way more valuable than a defensive end. So I want to know where you actually stand on this. I I, I mean, it's all about how do you define the award. Is the award the the most valuable player or is the award the best player? I think the award probably should be the best. I think so, too. I think Chase Young is the best player. I don't know that I disagree with Connor that he's – I don't know that I'm saying he's going to win it. I'm not predicting it. Uh, I do think given the, val- like the, the betting value of it, like I'd, I'd, I'd take a flyer on him. He's like plus 2,000, I think. I would like if, if – when we look back in 10 years at the Heisman, I think we should look back and be like, that guy defined this college football season. Like, I think, That's a fair point. I think that would be a perfect yeah. – I think Chase so, Young winning would be perfect. Now, I'm not saying Joe Burrow doesn't also define this college football season, too. That's tough. Yeah. And how many years now in a row have we been like, man, this is a tough Heisman field. Any other year he could win it, but this year is tough. I mean, golly. Like, we just got done with Oklahoma's back-to-back guys. Now we got Joe Burrow I, rewriting the record books so himself. Here, yeah. If LSU – let's just say LSU goes undefeated. For the sake of argument, let's say LSU goes undefeated, wins the SEC. There's no way right. you don't give it to Joe Burrow, the guy who's gone to this quarterback wasteland and transformed LSU into this passing juggernaut. There's no way you don't. If, if LSU stumbles a couple times and it's between Chase Young and 10-2 and LSU and the next in line at Oklahoma and Tua Tungavailoa, who's been hobbled late in the year, then all of a sudden I think it gets real and Chase Young, because he has had, I mean, that, that game against Wisconsin, oh. everyone was watching it. Yeah. And he dominated. And he didn't dominate Tulsa. He dominated Wisconsin's offensive line, which is this sort of iconic, yep. like, figurehead. figurehead of what an offensive line should be. So uh, I think there's still a, a lot to be determined there. But to your point, I, I think Chase Young still – is in the driver's seat because of the way he has transformed that team. Last thing, we talked about this. The schedule is Maryland and Rutgers yeah. next few weeks, and then it's Penn State and Michigan, which is perfect because he gets to pad his stats against those two bad teams. And then when the lights come on, when the national primetime audience is on, we'll be watching Chase Young go for the sack record, not the other way around. Yeah, be fresh in their mind. So, and we'll be close. And the thing about Ndamukong Sue – his best game was in the Big 12 championship game against Texas in early December. By that point, I would imagine most Heisman voters had made up their minds that it was going to be Mark Ingram. If Ndamukong Sue had had his four-and-a-half sack performance against Texas in October on primetime national TV, he might have won the Heisman. And so think, uh, this is perfect, perfect timing for Chase Young. Yeah, not only like maybe made up their minds, but possibly already sent their vote in. I think every year about 10% of the Heisman ballots are sent in before the champ- conference championship games even take place. So, oh. All right, let's uh, move on. So, let's talk about how much Chase Young should be making. Yeah, so the NCAA <laughs> is getting with the times. They've voted uh, over, Well, 
What? Go ahead. You got to couch this. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Finish your, go ahead. They want to be able to let players yeah, profit they, off They their voted earlier this week to allow players to profit off their likeness. Uh, well, go maybe ahead. one okay. day. Well, here's they issued a release um, voted on by the Board of Governors that they will, the NCAA will, come up with um, rules and regulations that will allow players, and here's the key word, to benefit off their name and likeness. Never did they say they could earn money. Never did they say that they could profit financially, but to benefit. What does that mean? We don't know yet. I don't know that the NCAA knows yet. This was a about face from digging their heels in the ground and saying this is uh, contrary and contradictory to the amateur model and the collegiate model, and now all of a sudden they're, they're on board with it. They listed a lot of stipulations that they're concerned with. So this is the NCAA buying it themselves some time and acknowledging that they have to give some, and now they're going to figure out just how much they can hold back and how much they can give. Um, but the, the, the door has been cracked for it to kick, kick down, and, and there will be some sort of change coming. They'd already lost the war because California and, you know, more than a dozen of other states have already sort of beat them to this, with 2023 being the absolute latest this could happen. I think the NCAA gave themselves a sort of April 2021 deadline. I think it's great. I'm excited to see what the, the fans say in the comments because I know our audience is going to have some differing opinions about this who, who, who think college football players are, are mere, merely students, you know, shouldn't, you know, should, are just benefiting from the cost of a, a scholarship and what, what have you. But aren't you guys excited that NCAA football might be coming back? Yeah. Yeah, I'm super excited. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are our issues here? Do we have any? No. So here, I, I want to, I think anytime you have this discussion, I, I think it's important because not enough people realize this. Because look, I have friends that follow football closely, played football in, in high school and college. And, but because they have regular jobs and they might not be reading every story about this week in, week out. I, I think even they sometimes don't quite understand what we're getting at here. So let's, let's clarify, this is not about schools paying players. This has nothing to do with schools paying players. This has nothing to do with pay for play. This is the ability for players to, in the NCAA's words, benefit off their name and likeness based on, and who knows what they will allow, but it, it, theoretically, sponsorship, marketing, um, jersey sales, those sort of things that the free market would decide your worth. And I, I think it's the thing that drives me crazy is the people that parachute into this conversation and just because it feels wrong to let a college kid uh, make all this money when he should be happy with a scholarship, it just feels off. They say things like Mitt Romney going on uh, outside, the, the lines. outside the lines and saying, you know, we agree with, the, with the, this in theory, but you can't have college, one college kid riding around in a Ferrari while another kid's trying to make ends meet. It's like, whoa, are you a capitalist, Mitt? Or, or are you not? Because the whole world is full of economic inequality and you're okay with it. But the second, the college kid who has earned that money based on his talent, his skill set, his marketability, he can't drive a Ferrari? Why not? And, and look, every college program in the country 
has any quality on its roster. Kids that show up rich from the suburbs driving a, a nice Tahoe and kids show up that, that don't have anything. Like, why suddenly is because the kid earned it through what he's done on the field a bad thing? I mean, obviously, this is a, I could go on a lot of tangents here, but the, the, the idea of coming in and, and from the outside and just sort of parachuting in politically and calling this a negative without really understanding what's happening, I, 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 I take issue with. I think a lot of people forget the burden of a student athlete. That's a lot, guys. Like, they're not only going to class, they're waking up at 5 a.m. to get in the weight room. They're probably staying up super late. They're going to study hall. They've got a ton of, they don't have time for a part time job. And could, I could not have gotten through college without multiple part-time jobs. And, you know, I was, you know, lucky enough to be able to have them. These guys don't have them. And, yeah, like, Tua should be making money on his jersey sales. Like, Trevor Lawrence should, Andy Stables on Twitter, should have a, a you know, Pert Plus or Pantene whatever shampoo sponsorship. Awesome. Yeah. sponsorship. And, yeah, if the offensive linemen don't get the money, like, I'm sure the guys will help them out. Quarterbacks get more money than offensive yeah. linemen in the NFL. It yeah. doesn't. Doesn't seem to affect the team chemistry there. Are you worried about at all the trickle-down effect into recruiting? Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of unintended consequences that will be that, that we'll have to deal with. And, and I think everyone would have to adjust. And I think that that's ultimately what the NCAA is pushing back on uh, beyond everything else is I think the NCAA – and look, rightly so, I understand where they're coming from. I don't necessarily think that that's the end of the world if suddenly kids are getting paid to go to school because who's the victim there? You know, right. is the, you know who's, who's going to be the winners and the losers there? Oh, the winners are going to be Alabama and Ohio State and the same the teams that are always want. dominating. Right. And the losers are going to be the same teams that don't. Like, there's only 85 scholarship spots. There's only so – you can't take everybody. And so nothing is going to change hierarchically, is that a word, uh, in, in college football. The, the only thing that's going to change is just that kids get money. And so, like, ultimately the hand-wringing of this all is about, oh, I can't imagine these kids with all this money. And one, most kids aren't getting much money. Most kids aren't getting anything. Most kids are getting a free sandwich at the sandwich shop. Two, who cares if they are? If some kid actually, it's not going to happen, but actually gets enough money to buy a Ferrari, man, congratulations on your Ferrari. Like, can I have a ride? If I'm your teammate, like, I'm happy for you. I'm pumped about that Ferrari. I got a buddy who has a Ferrari. So I, I, the, the, the hand-wringing over this thing, I think, is misplaced because nothing changes in terms of the strata system in college football. You're just <clears throat> taking out the middleman. And maybe college programs don't have a waterfall in their locker room. And instead, the kids got some, some, some nice clothes. Yeah. Before we move on to questions, I thought Rusty Manziel had a great one on Twitter the other day. Who should be on the cover of uh, the new NCAA football game? Uh, it was between Justin Fields and uh, your boy T-Law. T-Law. I mean, they, they, they can only – I guess now they can put anyone on the cover, they, right? Yeah, they can put an underclassman on there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so – That was really good, by the way. Sometimes you remind us that you went to Yale. I was that was impressive. <laughs> what was that? Was just you were that was good. That was good. Okay, thanks. What What's he had a good like little spiel. Well, this is yeah. I mean, this is the, this has been eating at me. Yeah. When, you because I get angry when I get angry when a legend. You just went back to his T law. Whatever. It is, yeah. It's <laughs> Sorry. Like, no, I'm just saying. I asked you a question. You went back to him. I, I get annoyed when a, when allegedly smart people are like push back on this without a real like knowledge base of what's going on. And, and I think that they are smart, but like they don't, they refuse to just take a look 
underneath the hood at what this really means. So whatever. Sorry, it's a tangent. No, it's all right. Connor, what kind yeah. of questions we got today? Yeah, let's start things off with Trevor Ward. He says, finally, I've been waiting all week to see what y'all have to say about <laughs> Michigan after that domination in Ann Arbor. Oh. Hats off to Connor for being the only one to get that game right. Hats what? off to Connor, indeed. That was obviously the right side. That was There was no doubt about that. Yeah. It, I tell you what is crazy, that that game was 17-7 to with five minutes left in the third quarter. And I don't even say that to say that, oh, it was close and like it, it kind of got fluky at the end. I mean... That was 17-7 to with no hope that Notre Dame was going to win that game. I mean, there was zero chance they were going to win that game, and it was a 10-point game late in the third. That's just how dominant Notre Dame, or Michigan was in terms of the physicality at the line of scrimmage and, and really kind of offensively the ineptitude of Notre Dame. they got to get something figured out there. But I'm going to take like, – this is to me, as much as you can criticize Notre Dame about that game – this is all about Michigan and, it, and circling the wagons and showing toughness and winning. I'm a spread guy. I'm an RPO guy. But that Michigan beat the doors off somebody with Shea Patterson going 6 or 12. The year they bring in a new OC, it's kind of fun. Uh, let's stick with Notre Dame for a second. William Wagner asks, who had the worst loss last week, Notre Dame or Texas? Oh. Uh, I, for a second, I forgot who Texas lost to. Well, See, yeah. I think that the – Texas. I still think the – like if Notre, I mean, yeah, I guess it's Texas. about is, is the team or the style. Texas of loss? is five and three, losing commits left and right, Had recruiting class that was at one point number three in the country, and it's I think they just literally just lost a top two four seven player when we got on the show, Jordan Ethan Pounds here. But why are they losing commits? I, like, what's the big deal? Because when Texas loses games, people freak out and people say Tom Herman should be fired. I mean, we talked about Tom Herman on the hot seat last week after he barely beat Kansas. Now we're looking at a stretch in November where, like, if Tom Herman doesn't at least split this and get an 8-4 and four record somehow in the books, it's going to be a long offseason. It's going to be a long offseason. We're going to be talking about Tom Herman in March on the hot seat. Yeah, that's how – look, you said it in the office a few weeks ago. Is Texas a place where people's, you know, coaching careers go to die? And I was like, Barton, stop being a jerk. You might be serious. <laughs> if Tom Herman can't figure it out at Texas wow. – I mean, that guy was the messiah. I don't know what to say anymore at this point. Wow. It was we'll, a bad loss. And we'll I'll touch, tell you that. We'll touch more on, on Notre Dame. Yeah, we got a good boiling point coming yeah. up. Uh, Kevin Zeminski says, we need an 18 playoff. I know oh. a few weeks ago it was looking maybe more like we had a deeper field beyond the top four, but as things have gone on, do you, are, are, you, are you guys good staying in pad at four now, or do we need to move to eight? I'm good with these four. I, I like it. A, I like a sixteen playoff. Okay, all right. I, I think I don't need. I don't think you need to go all the way to eight. But I think uh, getting the one and two seeds, which are typically head and shoulders above everyone else, a buy mm-hmm. uh, as a motivation uh, is worthwhile. And I think probably there's always going to be one or two teams that have a really strong case for getting in. And I think they. Sh- I think you should give them a shot. Um, Oklahoma, Ohio State back in 2014 is a great example. You know, they Alabama in 27 could have very well been left out. They got in and they blow the doors off everybody. Um, so I, I think that uh, I think six is the right number. I know how hard <coughs> it is to expand and then stop it. So I guess if you go six, it probably becomes eight at some point. Yeah, cut you know, one of the ridiculous cupcake weeks. You know, 
Cut, yeah. cut, like, cut this crap. Like, we've got four weeks left, and two of them are good. Yeah. Cut the Three. double buy. Cut the cupcake. Give us everyone goes. Buy. Everyone goes nine conference yeah. games. Yeah. Like, this is, yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Connor. We'll come back to some more questions later. All right, guys. Like I said earlier, it's Halloween. Uh, th- thought we could do something we haven't done in a while. It's a little role play. Uh, back to basics. Coaching conundrums. Uh, so these guys, I'm going to sign. Well, we've already no. Signed. You sign. We have no idea who we are. Okay, sure. Uh, and I'm going to give them the coach's name, and they're just going to what do your thing. Okay. Right, we'll so we yeah. will start with Barton. Barton is Florida State head coach Willie Taggart. Oh, hey. Hey there. <laughs> I wish I was a little bigger. Hey, I'm man. Willie Taggart. You went five and seven last year. You were four and four this year. You brought in a new offensive coordinator. You guys don't really seem to be getting along, and you are 78 nationally in total offense. You have to beat either Miami or Boston College to make a bowl game. I think you should be fired. Do you know who I am? Did you know who I was when you hired me? How's that for Willie Tiger? He's a little too country. Yeah, maybe? a little too country. All right. You well, can take that down. Okay. As, as Willie Taggart, I want to I wanna give you a little history lesson on my background, yeah. okay? I'm not some magic man. I'm not, I'm not turning things around overnight. But what I do is I build programs slowly but surely. Let's go all the way back to Western Kentucky, okay? okay? Western Kentucky, we took over a, a, an 0-12 team, all right? We went 2-10 the first year. No big deal. We started 0-4 in year two. Not pretty, right? We go on to go 7-1 and one the final eight games of that season with our only loss to the number one team in the country at the time, LSU. Following year, third year there, I go 7-5. and five. I beat Kentucky, an in-state team, an SEC team, obviously, and USF comes calling, all right? I take over a 3-9 and nine team at USF. We get worse in year one. We go 2-10, and 10, okay? Second year, 4-8. and eight. Third year, 8-5. Eight and five. Year four, 11 and two, Oregon. I take over a four and eight team. First year there, seven and six. Only the year there. Yeah, really? and, then, and then the next year, they go nine and four without me. Granted, mm-hmm. but I had built that. Mm, had okay, you. I had the, the had beginning you. were in place. So, because now. The one transition class you had brought in, you had built that. Now we start in, but I, I'd laid the foundation uh-huh. to get that thing right. Uh-huh. Okay? Uh-huh. Now we go to this season. And we started at Florida State last year. We went five and seven. Yeah. All right. And it was a mess, Willie. You didn't look like you knew it what was you a were mess. Doing. It was a mess. And and I want to take you back too to USF. Just about every year there, my offense got better and my coordinators were changing. Mm-hmm. It was a musical chair of coordinators. So I do the things that need to be done to get this right. I inherited a mess on the offensive line. The most important position on a team is offensive line, especially if the alternative is a terrible offensive line. We weren't decent. We were terrible on the offensive line. We have gone from terrible to, to not good, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. If we go to average next year, then we're, we're heading in the right direction. You look at what we've done this year. We lost to Boise State, a good group of five team, barely. We lost to Don't gloss Virginia. over your Louisiana Monroe win. Oh, the win? Really? The yeah, win? The double Sorry, win. it's in green. I'm glad this. they missed that kick. Uh, we lost to Virginia, a good Virginia team that a probably – okay Virginia team, Willie. That, they were healthier back uh-huh. then. And we lost on the road at night, okay? Then we beat a good Louisville team. We beat NC State. We lost to Clemson, who everyone's losing to. And we lost to a one-loss Wake team by one point. We blow out Syracuse. We have Miami at home this week. 
And look, if we lose that game, that'll be disappointing. Yeah. But things are heading in the right direction with Kendall Browse as my offensive coordinator. Just stick with me and believe. I'm just saying, Willie, Florida State, it's not UCF. It's not Western Kentucky. You need to turn this around fast. <clears throat> Exit plan's already being discussed. Trey, you are USC head coach Clay Helton. Someone going to say something? I'm the nicest guy in college football. My team is in the lead in the Pac-12 South, and everyone wants to keep counting me out. And by the way, I'm doing it with a backup true freshman quarterback, Urban Meyer. Stay in TV. I got this. Clay, all I'm hearing are excuses out of you. Oh, backup quarterback? You're USC, Clay. You have lost three games. You've got Oregon coming. You lost to UCLA last year. This is a team that if nine and three, if you win out, that's a bad season by USC standards. I'm a USC alum. I'm a I'm an all-time great. Okay? I, I am a I'm a booster. I am expecting this team to compete for national titles. And if Sam Darnold isn't under center for you, you've been average at best. So I'm you're a nice guy, Clay. We've sat down, we've had we've had meet and greets together, and I have a lot of respect for you. I have a lot of respect for who you are as a man, who you've the, the players that you have developed. But this is USC, and we are about winning national titles, and I have no expectation that you will be able to get us to national title. I would be able to get you to a national title if you would stop talking about my job status because right now my recruiting class is like number 64 in the country. I can't get anybody to commit to my team. Last year I was 20th. If you guys would just stop talking about Urban Meyer, who, you know, got some skeletons in the closet talking about Halloween, if you would just stop (laughs) talking about him, I could do my job right. Give me a chance. I brought in the right OC and Graham Harrell. We had things going in the right direction, and we still do. And, again, this is a young college football team, and we've gotten tougher. I'm staying. Nicest coach in the country, huh? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Uh, Barton, you are Michigan State head coach Mark D'Antonio. Are you going to stay? Like. You're, if I'm your AD, you're lucky, Mark, that I'm not going to fire you. And I'm not going to because you've done a lot for this team. You're the winningest coach in Michigan State Spartans history, but you're 4-4 four and four right now. You went 7-6 and six last year. Your 10-3 and three season in 2017 seems like a really long time ago. And did I mention that you didn't make any sort of staff changes this offseason on offense? And you're still number 105 in total low? And you looked like a jerk when someone asked you about it, Mark? What do you got to say to that? What, what are we doing? What are we doing? What, what is this conversation that we're having? Is that a good Mark D'Antonio? I don't know. I've never heard him talk. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous. Get out of my office. Get out of my office. <laughs> that sounds- this is East Lansing. This is my town. Okay? You don't come in my office talking about that to the <clears throat> godfather of this program. Okay? We haven't won a national title in, since 1966. We are competing on a regular basis. We went five out of six years. Just a couple years ago, uh, had a six-year stretch where five of those years we won 11 games or more. We're two years or more removed from a 10-win season. Yeah, we've had a little bit of a rough stretch offensively. I tried to shake things up with my staff a little bit. Kind of. Uh, yeah, it rearranged people. They rearranged you know deck what? on the Titanic. The reason that we've been successful is because we built strong culture. We've had continuity in our staff. We've been, we built tough football players. And I don't think that you continue that – toughness and, and continuity and culture by firing a guy you have a bad season with. So I tried to rearrange things. Didn't work out. You know, maybe I take a look again this year and rearrange things a little more. Maybe I, I make some changes. I look outside the building. 
But right now, we are still a team that's playing great defense. We are still a team that has a hard time finding a run game. That will come again. And you know what? I, a few off-the-field issues have popped up. I, I believed so much in our culture that I took a chance on a few guys I shouldn't have, and they made some mistakes. I thought our culture would bring them in and, and correct some of the issues they arrived with. I was wrong. My bad. Hand up on that. But don't expect me to say my bad too much more because I still believe that this program is in the right path. And, oh, by the way, I've won eight of the last 11 against the University of Michigan. All right? Try firing me with eight of the last 11. So, no, I am not going to leave. I know you're not going to fire me. I know you don't have the stones to do that. But I'm also not going to leave on my own terms. Uh, this is still my program. We're going to get it back on track. Well said. Trey. You are Arkansas head coach Chad Morris. Look, it's it's Chad. Yeah, it's, it's, that's not look, Chad. Chad I, I need, Hold on, no, no, no. I, what? Chad, you are a Texas high school football coach that the was best an, high school football program was an early adopter, a disruptor in the offensive community. Went to Clemson, had a lot of success. You went to SMU. Your offense was successful, but your teams weren't that successful. Everyone's running the spread these days. Why, Chad, should we trust that you, running the same offense that everyone in the country runs, are going to be able to get this right when you can't be competitive and you can't even beat San Jose State? Can you let me talk, man? Look, that wasn't Chad Morris. It's hard to win games in the SEC. It's even harder for me to sit here and tell you why I should keep my job. However... I'm only in year two. My buyout's $8 million. You guys are already paying Brett Bielema $11 million, or at least you're supposed to. You haven't paid him in a little bit. No, we're done with that. We stopped paying him. I grew up under Dabo Sweeney. It took him a long time to get Clemson turned around. If you want to be a perennial SEC West doormat, you can cycle coaches in and out of Fayetteville all you want. Give me a chance. Give me one more year. Let me do my job without the hot seat talk. Come out right now and say I got this job because I can improve on this. I had the number 23 recruiting class last year. I can recruit Texas, which Arkansas has not done in, in a very long time. I can do this. I need one more year, and that's really all I got because there is nothing else on paper that says I'm the man for this job. <laughs> uh, all right, Barton, you are Mississippi State head coach Joe Moorhead. All right, Joe, this is the last one. And, look, no one's firing you. We're a little bit disappointed how things have gone in Starkville. Last year, you had three first-round picks on defense, and you went 8-5 and five with a three-year starting quarterback in Nick Fitzgerald, and we kind of said that was okay. Now you're not doing so well, 3-5. and five. And there's a lot of reports that you might be headed to Rutgers, which is clearly a worse job, but, you know, a little bit of a safer spot for you. What are you going to do? Well, on the record, I am going to continue to recruit – at a, a high rate, I'm going to bring in players that believe in this program. I'm going to continue to develop my coaching staff. I love this city. I love Starkville. I love Mississippi. This is my new home. The offense is getting going under a true freshman quarterback that has athleticism and arm talent that just needs my tutelage to take it to the next level. Now, are we off the record? Yeah. Or it's just you, me, and the wall? You, me, and the wall. Okay. We're, we're in Jersey. Oh, man, I hope I get that job offer. <laughs> man, I could really use a fresh start in Piscataway. I, I, you know, I think that I'm a better cultural fit up there. I think that uh, 
you know, I, I've never recruited down here in Mississippi. They don't even have. Uh, it, it take, there's no Wawa. There's like there's like <laughs> I think it was 40 miles between gas stations sometimes down here, and and I, they don't pump your gas for you. Yeah, and so look, I I believe I know the Big Ten East. Uh, I've had success in the Big Ten East. I know that area. I know I can recruit that area. I think that that area will respond to me better. And look. I'm, I'm an offensive guru. Look at Joe Brady at LSU. You know where he learned his stuff? Me. You? Yeah. Huh? I taught Joe Brady that. So I think. Why are you doing it? I need a fresh start in Rutgers, and uh, I think I'm going to get it. But if I don't, I believe in this program, and we're going to get it back on top. Good job. Go, dogs. Yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> I enjoyed that segment a lot. Yeah. Uh, all right. Kevin Boyler talks Notre Dame with Tom Lloyd in this week's Boiling Point. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Boiling Point, where we put our experts to the test by asking them a few pointed questions. Notre Dame now has two losses on the season after getting dismantled 45-14 by Michigan last weekend. With me today to discuss the state of the program is Tom Loy of Irish Illustrated on 24-7 Sports. Tom, Notre Dame entered the season with playoff expectations. At 5-2, can we already consider this season a failure for the Fighting Irish? You know, I don't really love the word failure, so I guess I'll say no, but there's nobody inside the Goog at Notre Dame and South Bend that wouldn't call this season a disappointment. Um, this team had all the makings of making a college football playoff run and and one that I think myself and a lot of others that are close to the program expected to happen um, and, and for them to surely not be eliminated at this point. So I wouldn't call it a failure, but but there's, you know, everybody is disappointed. I mean, I think they're disappointed with this past weekend, the play of quarterback Ian Book, um, the direction of the coordinators, both Clark Lee and Chip, Chip Long. And, and it all starts with head coach Brian Kelly. So Everybody was disappointed. It was a, a tough loss. It's, a, it's a, a season ender when you're looking at the big picture, making college football playoff, making a national championship run. So, um, But there's definitely a lot of room for, for some continued excitement. Um, it's a schedule that I think that they can still win 10 games, which would be the first time. I think that they've won three or had three straight 10-win seasons since maybe the early 90s. Um, it was well before my time covering Notre Dame. But um, seriously, though, I mean, it's a, they're, they're, on, they're on the right path. They're on the right direction. I think this big picture was a, a mere blip on the big picture radar, which has been much, much more positive uh, for Notre Dame. But, Tom, it feels like every year we're having the same conversation about Brian Kelly. He just always seems to leave fans wanting more. If Kelly has hit his ceiling at Notre Dame, should the Irish consider other coaching options, perhaps pursuing Urban Meyer, to get to the next level? I mean, I, I think that a lot of it has to do with how this season plays out. Um, I don't think it's a case where they're going to drop many more games. I honestly think they're going to win out and finish 10 and 2, which again is, is a big deal, seeing that they hadn't won, th had three straight seasons for such a long time where you're winning 10 games. So, um, Notre Dame fans 
they want they demand more they expect more but so do the Notre Dame coaches and players so they want to be in the playoff hunt they want to be winning national championships it hasn't happened in, in Brian Kelly's 10 years and it's not going to happen this final year so we'll see what happens but um, I know there's a lot of Notre Dame fans at irishillustrator.com that, that want Urban Meyer they want change PJ Flex been mentioned um, but I really think that they need to look big picture. Brian Kelly has turned this program around. There were some dark times when Charlie Weiss was there and before that. So recruiting's at an all-time high. Things are going well on both on and off the field. So I think Notre Dame fans need to chill just a little bit and make sure that the grass is, because the grass isn't always greener if they want to get rid of Brian Kelly. Tom, thank you so much for stopping by. Brian Kelly has five more regular season games to get Notre Dame on the right track. In the meantime, follow Tom on Twitter and read his work over at Irish Illustrated on 24-7 Sports. Okay, thanks, fellas. So is this to me, this is a question I want to ask. You're talking about a coach, and I know this is Notre Dame. They want championships and all that. But we're talking about a coach that's taken to the playoffs, been to the national championship game. I mean, is it? time to start looking for a replacement is it has he hit his no. ceiling i was interested that that even was something that tom even like didn't shoot down to be honest with you tom's one of our best and brightest but tom says that i was shocked to hear tom say that inside that building they were expecting a national title type of season playoff playoff type season hey they made it last year you thought they could make the playoff this year, Bart. Well, they I thought they the might be able to make the playoff because of their schedule. Okay. All right, I, I thought they'd, they'd lose it to uh, Georgia, which sure. they did. I thought they would uh, beat Michigan. But I, I also realized that I was very much an outlier in yeah. that belief. Yep. And I, I thought this team, considering the what it lost really on defense, Jerry Tillery, basically the whole linebacking core of top – uh, second day cornerback. Uh, hmm. I, I thought that there was a lot of pieces that they, they needed to build up. And yes, I think a, eleven and one year is to me was sort of the best case vision of this. So I say that to say that like Brian Kelly, I, I actually think is coaching some of his best football right now from the thirty thousand foot view. He has continuity on his staff. He has. He is, he is, you know, he's still not recruiting at the level he, that you have to to win national titles, but I think he's increased the intensity. And I think that there is a comfort level in sort of who he is and what needs to be done to be successful in that program. Like you're going to have a chance at the playoffs every year right now, I think. Yeah, you lost a bad one. But I think right now where this program is, you have a, a cycle-up chance to be in the playoffs. That's not Alabama, and that's not Clemson, and that's not Ohio State. But it's, it's from a consistency standpoint, Ohio, Notre Dame is playing as if it is as good as anyone else that's not in that championship, perennial championship tier. That's fair. And At, uh, I don't, we go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, do we think that like, the introduction of the college football playoff has kind of like broken the way we're used to thinking about teams and whether their season is a success? Like it's a binary. If you get in, it was a good season. And if you don't, then it was a bust and a total failure. And teams used to have like nine and three, 10 and two seasons all the time. And you went to a nice bowl game and like, hey, it was pretty good. But now it's like, all right, get him out of here. He's, he's trash. This is like, this isn't like the, I don't know, what was like the fifth, like when, when was Notre Dame at his absolute like peak? I mean, this isn't some Notre Dame team that 10 Last and year. two is some this, like total disaster. Like ten and two is a good year. Ten and two is if you go eleven and two with a bowl win, 
what are we talking right. about? We're like not we're not not satisfied with that. I understand that the win was was the loss was ugly, but I mean, there's also you have to like I mean that was a, a that was pouring down rain. The defense sort of gave way in the fourth quarter. It was just a bad offensive night that 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 uh, snowballed. Well, Urban Meyer is not going there. Not a good fit for him. All right. Set it up. Set it up. Josh's big bet. Josh, I don't even know how much you are down. I'm not a good lot. at math, but you won $22,000 at the World Series of Poker this summer, and every week you have done a shotgun bet on $22,000, Whoa! And you keep losing bet. Josh, whoa. whoa! Yeah, you tripled down last week and it didn't pay off, so open that envelope. Well, what, 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 what makes this worse was I tripled down or doubled down, whatever I did last Triple. week, on Kentucky, of all teams. Losing. Losing. You were down on And I could not have been more wrong. Hey, if you don't start winning, someone's going to come break your legs here pretty soon. I'm surprised they're not even broken. I'm I'm gonna, su- while you read that, look, fans, we need your help because we thought this was just a fun game. He's lost so much money, we need to figure out a punishment for him if he finishes the season yeah. in the red. So That's, just think about it in the comments section. Yeah. Go ahead. Start uh, the clock this because is already you're, you're another, cheating, Josh. Oh, this is, I'm not going to get it right. Virginia Tech at Notre Dame. Notre Dame's a 17.5-point favorite. <laughs> you – <laughs> I I don't know. I, I might I, I think I should do the George Costanza. I'm kind of leaning Virginia Tech, so therefore I should take Notre Dame. All right. So I will take Notre Dame 17 and a half. How much, How much are you putting on this? Uh, whoa. <laughs> you want to do half? You can do $22,000 increments or you can do all of it. That's so unfair if he lands on a bed and makes a lot of money. I, I got to take baby steps. We still got a, okay. we got wait, we got a few weeks yeah, to go. I'll take, I'll just do the minimum. 22k. 22k? Yeah. Okay. All right, good for you. 22K. All right. All right. Thank you very much, fellas. Uh, take a palooza. Hot takes by these guys. Trey, what do you got? I don't even know if my take's that hot. I just think J.K. Dobbins, after watching Saturday's game, Ohio State versus Wisconsin, has cemented himself as the best running back in the country. I'm not saying he's going to go ahead of Jonathan Taylor in the draft, but J.K. number two in yards per, yards per game. He's like a, a, a hulked-up hamster. It's impossible to tackle him. He's an athletic freak, 4-5-40 at the opening finals a few years ago. It has been one of the joys of the season to see him regain his freshman form, averaging 7.2 yards a carry again after a very disappointing sophomore season in which he was hamstrung by Ohio State's one-dimensional offense. J.K. Dobbins, sorry, Jonathan Taylor, sorry, sorry, Juba Hubbard, sorry, Travis Etienne, you are the best running back in college football. Uh, I, I mean, this is a, this is a fair take. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm okay with it, but I also think – you sort of answered the question as to why he's having success. Freshman year, he had success mm. when JT Bear. JT Bear was a quarterback. Right now, he's having success because Justin Fields draws so much attention in the run game that he can bust loose. I think when you're just handing him the ball off in that Wisconsin offense, you're not doing what he's doing now. So Sounds to me like you're saying J.K. Dobbins is a system running back. Not a system running back. He's a really good running back. But I think that if you want to – like, he's not a Heisman contender in, in – a lot of offenses. Okay. All right. Um, That's more of a take than mine. I may go Chuba Hubbard as the best back in the country. Honestly, I love that guy. All right. My take. My take is, and I, I bought a little Tennessee stock a few weeks ago. Yeah. When they're when they're down, um, bought it at the penny a penny price. I'm about to cash in on that. Tennessee's going to make a bowl this year. They'll do it. They're three and five right now, so they have to go three and one down the stretch, at least. They got to beat UAB. Kentucky, Missouri, Vanderbilt. Three of those four. I think it does it. Whoa. I think it beats UAB this weekend. And then I think it wins two of the last three. 
Kentucky, Missouri, Vandy. Massive. That would be a massive win for Jeremy Pruitt because this was they they yeah. baseline minimum expectation to make a bowl game this year. Didn't look like they were going to do it. I mean, the the fans are getting ready to sell his house. They're ready for him to get out. Are burning down. Yeah. I think there is a there is a convergence right now of upperclassmen leadership finally taking a step forward and being those leaders, being those playmakers, and the and the underclassmen that are very talented and and have, I think, some of those intangibles and traits are getting the experience now, and they're meeting in the middle, and it's becoming a quality football team. Connor, how are we doing on questions? Yeah, we got a few. Uh, a lot of Every time we talk about two, uh, a conversation <clears throat> two teams in, it's always SEC. Jamie Paul says, why not the Big Ten? We got two teams in the East, Ohio State and Penn State, still undefeated right now. Oh, yeah. Minnesota. I think we I think we addressed that. Like I, th- that's the big. The, here's here's why the, I think the, LS, the the SEC gets mentioned first is because we're still. I think most people, at least I am, of, are of the opinion that Penn State hadn't quite broken into that Ohio State, LSU, Alabama tier. That's a tier. Yeah. And Clemson and Clemson too. I think that's a tier. Clemson, Alabama, LSU, Ohio State. That's a tier, and Penn State is close. They're the closest they might team be to five, it, but they're, but, they're, but they're still, I think, a gap. And so if, 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 if this was a five-team tier and Penn State was in it, then, yeah, I think you're talking Big Ten just as much as the SEC in terms of two. But Penn State still got, you know, I mean, they didn't – I just think that and, – and, and that's why I said if Penn State beats Ohio State, then absolutely we're yep. looking at a two-team Big Ten conference, uh, playoff. We kind of walked up to this, but I don't think quite dove into it earlier. Similar topic. Ryan Widner asks, uh, what happens if we end up with a scenario with a one-loss SEC West and SEC East team Hmm. with the East team, so probably Florida or Georgia, or have to be Florida or Georgia, winning the SEC championship game? I'm just wondering how we get a one-loss SEC West team to Atlanta. Unless Auburn's, you know, making some noise. Well, they get the loss in the championship. Oh, okay. I still think the SEC. I mean, it would depend on what's going on elsewhere. But if if an SEC East team with one loss wins the SEC championship, they should make whether that's Georgia or Florida, they're in. Absolutely, because they would have either beaten Georgia or Florida. But but I still think then you would have a great chance of getting two in. in. I think uh, you still have, you know, LSU or Bama with a great shot. Absolutely, nobody's talking about Florida. But they still control their own destiny. Absolutely. Yeah. We've got the legend Woody Strickland yeah. chiming in. Woody's watching the WWE Crown Jewel pay-per-view and the best sports show at the same time. Nice. What a great afternoon. Right. So boy. His words. What a great afternoon. Good for him. Uh, I guess and, it already is afternoon. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, except unless Especially you're on, on Mountain or Western. Uh, so we've got a uh, last question is from Freddie Noriega Archilla. He says, uh, you guys want to talk about cannibalization. How come it's always the Big 12 and the Pac-12? Nobody ever talks about the Pac-12 as a bunch of good teams ah. cannibalizing. Well, it's, it is <clears throat> subjective. But I think that the cannibalization going on in the Big 12 is a bunch of good teams beating each other. I think what's going on in the Pac-12 is about four good teams and a bunch of average teams beating each other. The parody in the Pac-12 is crazy. It's made for some wild Saturday nights and Sunday mornings when you wake up and Google the scores. 
and I think that's probably, you know, no one's really recruiting at an elite level out there, and everyone's kind of the same. You said it so well on the podcast. You're like, it's every score outside of, like, one a week, like a Utah game, is like an automatic computer-generated random score. All right, yeah. All right, let's move on to the fan of the week. I think this is a very good one. Uh, this is from Spencer Nunez. Uh, he's coming from the Florida page. His question is, who would have been the highest paid college football player in the last 10 years in his school? Johnny uh, Manziel, hands down, not even close. <clears throat> Johnny Manziel. Whoa, 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 the, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. What about Timothy Tebow? The great, the yeah. great one, the chosen one, Timothy Tebow. I think Johnny would – ooh. That's a good question. Great question, Nunez. I'm going Johnny would have been more willing to do a lot of different. Johnny would have cashed in more. Cashed in. I think Tebow would have been more marketable. Uh, maybe I see Menzel because T- Tebow didn't really wasn't a Twitter wasn't hardly a thing and like you know, we weren't talking about ath- like Johnny Menzel was the story of the day even through the summer almost every single day. What about Cam? I think too many people don't like Cam. Yeah, it's those two. It's those two, and maybe maybe two is your third. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I mean, and, and I, the, here's the other thing is, is marketability is, I just think it's going to be such a different, it's going to look so different than so many people expect. I don't think anyone's going to be making a million dollars. I don't think, it, you know, it's more about making a couple thousand here and there. I think it's more about what's like the, I, I apologize for not knowing her name, but the gymnastics girl for UCLA that had like a couple of tens. Yeah. And she has, she has literally like 2 million Instagram followers. That is, is marketability right there. That is someone that can cash in on some earning power in college. What's going to be interesting as far as like the market race is, let's say uh, a car dealership in Alabama wants Jerry Judy, and Jerry's like, my price is too high. And they're like, well, we'll just get Henry Ruggs. He's got a lower rate. I don't know. Some interesting <laughs> things coming up. Great question. Let's move on to pick them. Uh, let's go ahead and just put up the scoreboard. I don't even know where I am. Down is up. Up is down. Jeez. Uh, wow. And it's, a, it's a two-man race. And I'm Look at picking, those two. Josh, Josh you're against. about this story here. <laughs> I, well, it's Bart and Connor. No one cares about us, man. Wow. <laughs> That's bad. Okay, let's... Just go and get it over with. <laughs> Number seven, Oregon is a five-point favorite at USC. Yeah, I'm nervous about this one. Uh, USC, a little bit of a wild card. Oregon just had that shaky near loss to Colorado, but I'm going with the Ducks even on the road here. I was tempted, but uh, a good friend told me USC is kind of walking wounded right now. Quack, quack. USC is walking wounded. It's it's uh, beat up. It's uh, I think that Oregon is and look they barely survived against Colorado. Really probably should have lost that game. Uh, Oregon is coming into this thing and I think is is looking to make a statement. Uh, and also, according to Brett McMurphy, the uh, who polled all college coaches on their favorite musicians. Clay Holton's favorite musician is Ed Sheeran, and Mario Cristobal's favorite musician is Guns N' Roses. Is it really? Give me Guns N' Roses. That's awesome. They're the big win. Uh, I like Oregon as well. I think they're not at the playoff hunt. They're going to win this game easily. Give me Oregon. Virginia at North Carolina. North Carolina is a two-and-a-half point favorite. Yeah, ACC Coastal, man. Roll of the 11-sided die here, but I'm going with 
I'm going with UNC, Virginia. I, the offense is horrible and I don't like it traveling. Give me the Tar Heels. Another tough road game for Virginia, which we've seen go to Miami, go to Louisville, now go to North, uh, Chapel Hill. I'm going Tar Heels. Sam Howell's been so good this year. Yeah, look, I, I think this is going to be another close game. Uh, UNC plays every game close. Uh, and and yet I think that Virginia defensively is going to make a play late. Bryce Perkins is going to make a play late. Mm -hmm. I, I just think Virginia, this feels like sort of the – in the the body rhythm of the, the the ACC Coastal, I think this is the time to go Virginia. Every time I pick Virginia, they let me down, especially last week against Louisville. So I have to pick North Carolina. Kansas State, number 22 Kansas State, is a five-and-a-half-point favorite at Kansas. Yeah, boy. I mean, talk about a potential letdown spot. Beating Oklahoma, then going on the road to play an in-state rival. But... You know, Chris Kleeman knows a thing or two about success, so I think I'm, I'm counting on him having the Wildcats ready to play in this one. It's, it's crazy we're picking this game. This slate's so bad, but also Kansas has been so competitive that this game warrants us to pick them. Don't be fooled by their win against Texas Tech last week, though. The Red Raiders uh, kind of crapped the bed there. Go Wildcats. Yeah, I, I think the Kansas State is too disciplined mm -hmm. to, to get sucked into kind of the madness that a Les Miles game tends to suck you into sometimes. So I like them building on that win against Oklahoma and, and winning. Really wanted to pick less, but I can't. Give me Kansas State. Mississippi State is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite at Arkansas. Yeah, I don't have a great feel on the kind of intangibles for this one. It seems like, you know, both – both coaching staffs have maybe having their eyes on some other things right now, but I guess just based on talent alone, give me the Bulldogs. Who's going to win, man? Both these guys need to win this game. Uh, I think Mississippi State's going to play their uh, suspended players for this one. I'm going to Mississippi State. But if Arkansas, or Chad Moore is guaranteed to win, and this would not be a bad time for one. Yeah, I'm not sure if he guaranteed to win. I think he was a little bit mis misquoted okay. on that. But I do think I almost picked Arkansas here. Fortunately, I alerted Colin before I had to make an in-show change. Because um, I think that this is a type of game Arkansas could win. I don't think Arkansas is as terrible as they're perceived to be based on a couple of bad losses here recently against two really talented teams. Uh, I think Arkansas could win this one, but I'm picking Mississippi State. I just think that they, they understand that they got to get this one. Willie Gay is probably going to be playing at linebacker from suspension. Uh, give me the bulldog. You know, it's funny. I've been noticing a delay when Colin put your picks up. It's like he's waiting for the absolute, absolute fact that it, you're picking that. I'm going to take Mississippi State as well. Uh, let's see here. NC State is at number 23, Wake Forest. Wake Forest is a seven and a half point favorite. Yeah, it feels weird to say, but the Demon Deacons feel like one of the safest. Most, at least you know what you're going to get from the Demon Deacons week in and week out. One of the safest bets in the ACC. I'm going with Wake Forest at home. I'm tied for last in these picks. Vegas tells me Wake's a seven and a half point favorite. North Carolina State starting uh, Devin Leary at quarterback. Maybe he turns into the next in line at what's now QBU, but right now Wake Forest is going to win this. Yeah, this is a, another one I could see just because of the spot. I could see NC State going into Winston-Salem and, and Maybe upsetting, certainly covering, but I, like Connor said, I, I think that Wake is one of the more trustworthy teams in the ACC. Um, I'm going to bank on Dave Clawson getting it done. I don't know. I just went with the spread here. It's not like anybody's listening to my picks. <laughs> That's what anyways. we got to do, John. So I'll take Wake Forest. Number 15, SMU, and number 24, Memphis. Memphis is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. 
Yeah, College Game Day going with one of their oddball picks headed to this one for Ranked on Ranked. In the AAC, uh, you know, exciting home atmosphere for Memphis. I think the Tigers will be ready and they'll get it done. The status of SMU's top two receivers is in question. So I'm going Memphis. Well, I'm rooting for SMU, Shane Bouchelle. Yeah, um, my gut tells me SMU, but all the analytics and advanced stats and just numbers tell you that Memphis is the better team here. So while I'm worried about it, I, I do think Memphis, with it being at home, game day coming, I think that they, uh, they channel that momentum, channel that positive mojo, and they win. Memphis at home, game day's there. Memphis. You, n you never bet against Memphis at home when game day's there. That's a, one of the rules of, of, of my principles yeah. of gambling. Yeah. <laughs> TCU at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's a three-point favorite. Yeah, TCU going on the road after a big win to an Oklahoma State team that showing some fight when it seemed like their season might be going some side sideways there. So I've got the Cowboys pulling this one out. Uh, TCU should not have won last week. Uh, Oklahoma State is a better team. I... Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is feeling good now having gone to Ames with, and gotten a big win out of there. You had to kind of convince yourself to be confident there, huh? Yeah. Uh, I, I am going to take this opportunity to, to zig while y'all are zagging. I, I think TCU, uh, Oklahoma State has a track record of coming off these big wins and having a letdown the next week. Um, I think TCU is starting to find itself. Max Duggan, their true freshman quarterback, gaining confidence. I think TCU has a good game plan and wins it. I am going to take Oklahoma State. Number nine, Utah is a three and a half point favorite at Washington. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, Utah, yeah, I mean, Utah, great defense, we know. Traveling, you know, sometimes I worry about that Utah offense not showing up, but uh, their, uh, their offense has been a little bit more solid than I think maybe some people expect, so I'm going with the Utes. The fun one here, Jacob Eason's been great this season, but Utah defense is a, uh, another tough test for him. I'm going, I'm going Utes. Yeah. Washington's offensive line has been really good protecting Jacob Eason, but when it hasn't, Jacob Eason has struggled handling some of that pressure. This is one of the best defensive lines in the country. I think they'll be able to get to Eason a little bit, and uh, he hasn't shown that he's been able to deal with that really well. I also think defensively, this is a this is a top 60 team defensively, is, is Washington. We're used to seeing them in the top five or six. Uh, I think because of that, Utah will be able to establish the run. Uh, I think Washington misses the guys like the Ben Burke Hervins of last season. Uh, I think the run game gets going and Utah wins. I will take Utah. Miami at Florida State. Florida State's a three and a half point favorite. Yeah, it kind of feels like we're alternating weeks on whether we think Florida State's getting back on track or Willie Tackers back on the hot seat. Think it's going to be another back on the hot seat week. I think Miami is going to get the win here. Well, I'm picking Florida State, but that doesn't mean I think they're back on track. Miami's been one of the biggest disappointments of the season that we've hardly talked about. But yeah, Florida State at home, Vegas favor. I'm going with them. I don't, I don't like being forced to pick this game. This is a crazy game. I don't. I, my, my hunch tells me Florida State, but then when you really dig. I think when you look at Miami's defensive line going up against that really pretty bad Florida State offensive line, I think that's enough of an edge to where I give Miami. Uh, and, and because the, the ACC is so crazy, it just feels like they'll probably bounce back here. Florida State, I will take Florida State. Number eight, Georgia, is a six-and-a-half-point favorite at number six, Florida. Well, not at. It's, it's, it's first. Yeah. World's largest outdoor cocktail party. Yeah, the SEC East, it feels like the more information I get about these teams, the less I understand. So I'm just kind of 
kind of revert to my preseason expectations and like what do we know about the talent on hand for these teams and I'm going with the Bulldogs. I thought I was going to be the, the only person on this show to choose Florida and I'm sort of disappointed that my moment was shot so I'm just going to turn it over to Barton. <laughs> well look, I, I, I think that Georgia and, and like when you just look at these teams, when you just look at the way they play, I, I think that Florida is positioned to keep this game close and I think as you get late in the game, when you look at Kirby Smart and we look at Dan Mullen, there's one coach I trust more in close game situations. I think that's Dan Mullen. You also have Florida getting a little healthier on defense with Jabari Zaniga and Jonathan Grenard coming back. I think Florida offensively, while Lawrence Cager's back on the outside for those back shoulder phases they love to throw, they've just not had the imagination to get their playmakers the football. That makes me think Todd Grantham can't scheme something up for them. I'm on Florida. A little scary here, but I think Florida wins. I'm, I'm scared of this pick as well. I'm taking Georgia just based on what Connor was saying, talent. They've had a week to fix that offense that was awful against Kentucky a couple weeks ago. But I, I do. I, I believe talent wins out here, and I'm going to roll with Georgia. So give me Georgia. Uh, all right. Well, end of the show. Any parting shots? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm so embarrassed about three and seven. I cannot believe I went three and seven. Okay. Seven. All right. That's no, really I bothering me. I promise you no one's even still thinking about it. At least, you, at least you're down $132,000. Yeah, not only that, yeah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.